Good morning. Please have your Bible open to the book of Psalms, chapter 106. Psalms, chapter 106. You observe as you go through Psalms that many contain historical references to the history of the Israelite nation. Whether there is a notation in your Bible indicating that or not, as you read through the passage, you have clear indication of some historical scene back in the history of the Israelite nation. So here in Psalms 106, you'll notice that. Look down at verse 7. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, and then look at the mention of the Red Sea or the encampment of Dathan and Horeb. And in verse 30, the intervention of Phineas. We recognize these as people, events, and places from Israel's past. Their history as documented primarily back in the book of Exodus. This is a psalm that is built on Israel's history written back in Exodus. Psalms 106. Something else I want you to notice. The beginning and the end of the psalm could be called bookends. Verse 1, praise the Lord. Verse 48, praise the Lord. So as we go through this, we know as we began that this contains references to Israel's history and from beginning to end, the point of this psalm is praise directed to God. With that in mind, let's study some of this and I'll begin with this very easy question. Why praise the Lord? Reasons are given in the opening verses. Verse 1, very simple. He is good. Verse 2, who can utter his mighty deeds? Verse 4, he shows favor to his people. Let me put this together in my reading of Psalm 106, verses 1 through 5. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are those who observe justice and do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. So, as we begin in Psalms 106, <clears throat> the Lord is praised and the basis the reasons for the praise stated in very simple terms. He is God. Who can utter his mighty deeds? And he shows favor to his people. 
this was so in the history of Israel, and this is true <clears throat> for God's people today. He is good. Who can utter his mighty deeds? And he shows favor to his people. Thus, we praise the Lord because he is good. His goodness in Christ is our condition if we've obeyed the gospel and are living in a manner worthy of the gospel. The Lord is to be praised by us in our assemblies. He is to be praised by us in our minds, through our lives, and in our prayers. Praise the Lord is our song and our conviction of heart. Next in the history of the Israelites, what huge confession needed to follow? Verse 6, But we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Now this sums up in one verse the condition of God's people at that point in their history. And again, you can go back in Exodus and read about all this. But I want you to listen now from verse 6 over to verse 22, Psalms 106. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe, and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked and sent a wasting disease among them. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abraham. Fire also broke out in their company and flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. And you'll notice from here to the end of the chapter, it is the repeated history of sin, yet mercy from God offered more sin. Look over at verse 43 that sums it up. Many times 
He delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. God's anger was kindled against them. And he gave them into the hands of their enemies. He looked at their distresses and heard their cries. Therefore, the conclusion, verse 48, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord. Do you ever ask yourself, Why do I need to read and study the Old Testament? Why do I need to look at all this history? We have Christ. We have the New Testament. The Old Covenant Mosaic ordinances are not our access to God today. These are things that have already happened a long time ago. The history of Israel is tedious. It is repetitive. It is tiresome. Why do I need to review this? Why do I need to know this? Because I need to know God. Old Testament, New Testament, same God. Old Testament then, New Testament today, same God. Different law content. Law of Moses, law of Christ, same God. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in your New Testament. This is so many, many years after the sins of Israel. This is Paul writing to the local church in Corinth. Why does he bring this up? Listen, please. In 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 13. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumbled as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. 
I'm at verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know, Paul reviews the same history that we've read in Psalms 106. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Many, many years later, Paul reviews the same history we read in Psalm 106. But why? To make one simple point. God is faithful. God is faithful. See, inside those Old Testament stories of failure, there are clear announcements of the faithfulness and mercy and goodness of God. The people sinned. God was displeased. He responded and was himself graciously responsive to those who would turn away from their sin. We need to know this. Read this. Study this. Feed our hearts with this truth about who God is. He is gracious and merciful. And this is why in Psalm 106, it begins and ends with those three words. Praise the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to pull one more phrase out of this passage. There is in verse 3 a beatitude. A beatitude in verse 3. Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. This is a beatitude. A beatitude is a statement of blessing conferred on those referred to in the statement. A beatitude is a statement of blessing conferred on those referred to in the statement. That means after the words blessed are, those who are blessed are identified. In this class, those who observe justice and do righteousness at all times, in that class are the people who are blessed. There is a song we sometimes sing, Blessed are they who keep His commandments. It's based on this and a similar beatitude that's found in Revelation twenty-two fourteen. Blessed are they who keep His commandments that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter the gates into the city. So the point in Psalm 106, 48, supplemented by 1 Corinthians 10 and Revelation 22, 14 is the faithfulness and goodness of God is embraced and received and affords full comfort to they who observe Justice, who do righteousness at all times. While God's goodness is preached in the gospel, and while His righteousness is available through Christ, the Beatitudes 
that capture that truth call for our response, not just initially, but continually. I like the phrase in Psalm 106, 48, doing righteousness at all times. Do you see a challenge there? I need to ask myself, against the background of the truth of God's faithfulness, what is the consistency of my faith? And this question may create some strain or some burden of conscience. Righteousness at all times? I'm okay with Sunday, you know, just Sunday morning after Bible class, but I'm not sure about committing myself to all the involvements that have spiritual content. I'm not guilty of all the big sins. You mean I need to be righteous at all times? God expects our devotion not just occasionally. He expected His people in Israel to be in pursuit of righteousness all the time. The New Testament equivalent to that is daily discipleship. Jesus said, Luke 9, 23, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The discipline of discipleship is never ever described in the New Testament as occasional. It is daily. We're on duty 24-7, 365 days a year. This beatitude says, Blessed are those who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Well, what do you do if this troubles you? Listen again. Blessed are they who observe justice and do righteousness at all times. We might confess, looking at this, we might confess, I see this on the page, but I'm not, I'm not 100% as a disciple every day, every hour, every minute. Even though our intention doesn't completely escape us, and we are here today to worship and study and grow, we confess we are not 100% moment-by-moment disciples. Our prayers are often not complete or maybe neglected for days during worship, our attention may drift. We may drift to the point we don't even come to worship regularly. We may miss opportunities for evangelism. Attitudes may slip through the week. So we arrive at this statement in Psalm 136 and verse 3, and we might be shaken, doubtful about our level of growth and commitment. Was there anyone else who acknowledged their imperfection? I mean a Christian in New Testament times who acknowledged his imperfection. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3 beginning at verse 7 these words. But whatever gain I had I counted as loss for the sake of Christ... Indeed, I know every, uh, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Here is a man who walked in the religion of the Pharisees, but counted all of that as a loss when he obeyed the gospel. Rejecting self-righteousness, his desire was to be righteous in Christ. He says, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. To that apostle, uh, or to that statement, the apostle adds this in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. I want us to notice, Paul denies 100% sinless perfection, but in the same sentence, what does he say? I press on. Here's the point. Every time I think of my imperfection, every time I think of my imperfection, the very next statement in my mind should be, I'm going to press on. It is not 100% sinless perfection that we have, but it must be 100% effort. Am I pressing on? The God whose faithfulness is documented and illustrated all through the Old Testament is the same God we serve through Jesus Christ. He was merciful then. We read a moment ago, many times he delivered them. When I honestly face my imperfection and when I identify my weaknesses and my mistakes and roadblocks that the devil has put before me. I can speak to the Father through Jesus Christ with penitent confession of my sin, asking for strength, and he delivers me and equips me to press on. Now don't mishear what I'm saying. This is not relaxing in complacency at all. This is certainly not the idea of once saved, always saved. This is not appealing to grace <coughs> while living in sin. No, what I'm talking about is as soon as we think of our imperfection, what we need to do better, we speak to the Father in penitence, and after we say amen, we press on. Hebrews 10.36, you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Psalm 106, 48, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen, 
Praise the Lord. And you know, not only the faithfulness of God, God's mercy and humility. God humbles us to teach us dependence on Him. God saves humble people. God takes notice of those who humble themselves before Him. He leads the humble and teaches them what is right. He hears the prayers of the humble, forgives them, and heals them. God gives grace to the humble. The scripture says God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Should there be some good choice you need to make at this time to draw near to God, we invite that response as we stand together to sing.